What if you were hired to work for a company, but told you only had to attend a weekly meeting to learn about the company, talk to the CEO, and sing songs? How weird would that be? This is The Awkward Apocalypse, a deconstruction podcast that examines Christian culture against the authority of scripture. I'm Corey Kuhn, and today I want to talk about the church. This is the catchy theme song. This is the catchy theme song. What is worship? Well, if you perform a quick Google image search, you'll find pretty quickly that when most people conceptualize worship, they imagine a church service. Stage lights, hands raised, loud drums. Uh, A quick scan of the results also reveals that we seem to focus a lot of our worship on our hands. Seriously, every picture is just hands. Go look for yourself. This is typically what we mean when we say we are worshiping. We tend to think of it as an experience, a surrender of our present state to transcend this reality and experience the divine in a typically collective experience with a crowd or a congregation, singing, raising hands, lost in the moment and transported to heaven, as it were. Worship then is both something you go to and something you experience in a sort of existential way. When I say worship, you will more than likely think about Sunday morning. I think that how you define worship says a lot about what you believe about Christianity and the Christian life. If worship is something you envision taking place entirely within the context of a Sunday morning service, then I think that says a lot about what you think the Christian life is supposed to look like. For many Americans, Christianity is something you practice on Sunday. And I know I'm not saying anything new here. People gripe about this all the time. You know, people come to church on Sunday and then live like the rest of the world for the remainder of the week. What I'm saying here is not new. But what I do want to talk about here is the emphasis that we as Christians have put on the Sunday morning service. And I want to question that for a moment. Because when you really step back and think about it from a biblical perspective, it's pretty weird. So let's imagine for a moment that you're hired to work for a company. You're hired as, I don't know, a cashier. No attention is really given to whether or not you actually show up at work every day or are even doing your job. Instead, the emphasis is placed on a weekly meeting you guys have. Let's say Tuesday night, arbitrary night. You get where I'm going with this. You show up at the meetings and nobody asks you about your cashier duties. Instead, you're taught about what the CEO of the company is like and the grand vision that the CEO has for you and for your job. You then sing songs about the company and about the CEO and you go home. Now, this is a metaphor and it's not a great metaphor and all metaphors fall apart. So there are holes here, obviously, but just just humor me for a moment. Just think about how strange this would be. Think about how accessible this job would be for someone who cares nothing about the job at all. If you told your friends about your job, they'd probably all raise their eyebrows and tell you that it sounds like you've joined a cult, and they would probably ask you why you say you have a job but don't actually work. So let's apply this now to church. Just think for a moment about how odd it is that we put so much emphasis on a gathering. In literally any other context, this would be a huge red flag. Why is the organization that you belong to focused so heavily on the gathering of other members, but not on the clear mandates you've been given to practice? 
Like, why are you not using what you're learning at these meetings? And meeting at work is not the climax of what it means to work for that company. Like if you work for a company and you have meetings, you you know what I'm talking about. The meeting is intended to facilitate the work that's being done for some greater purpose. Like, yeah, meetings are necessary and they help you get to know your coworkers. They help you build relationships. They bring unity. They clarify what working for the company should look like, but they aren't the central focus of the work. In fact, most people hate meetings. And I'll be honest for a moment. I don't like going to church. I never have. When I was a kid, I would actually use the bulletin as a little checklist and I would count down to the end of the service. Like I would do that with the hymns too. I would count down the number of lines we had left until we were done singing. In college, I was always exhausted because I didn't go to sleep until like four and I had to force my zombie self to go to church. And as an adult, I feel like I'm just playing a game. I feel like my attendance is to maintain some perfect, blameless image of myself that I project to others so they can't hold it against me. And to be honest, I've never gotten much out of church. Like, I hate saying that. I I hate saying that I haven't gotten much out of church, but that's just the truth. And maybe I've gotten things in ways that I can't understand in the moment, but as it stands right now, I don't think that church has really impacted my spiritual life in ways that like other facets of my Christian life have. To me, singing never feels like worship. The sermons are great, but they aren't life-changing. And the whole experience has just always felt so forced and unsatisfying to what my soul is craving. Now, I will mention that I have always loved small groups. I love getting together with Christians and talking about God, learning about God, rebuking each other and offering wisdom. I love gathering people together for prayer. Like those are some of the most intimate moments of my life. I love serving alongside other Christians to help the poor and to, you know, make the world a better place. I've experienced real community and fellowship that way, and it's really been an integral part of my spiritual life as a Christian. But church, going to church has never really been very enjoyable for me. Now, that's not a knock against any of the pastors I've ever sat under, because I've sat under some amazing godly guys who preach wonderful sermons, but these same pastors I would also meet to talk with during the week, and I found those conversations and the example of their devoted lives to be far more helpful and far more life-changing for me than the sermons that they were preaching on Sunday morning. There was just something about church that never seemed to impact me much and left me kind of dreading Sundays. And I I guess what I want to really understand is why is that? That's so strange and I feel terribly guilty for saying that. Like I hate that I just said that into a microphone that other people can listen to. But my suspicion is that I'm not the only one. Because for most of my life, if you asked me if I enjoyed church or wanted to go to church, I would say yes. In college, I went to church probably 95% of the Sundays I was home, if not more. I would sleep four hours, wake up, put on my shirt and tie, and carry my Bible as I walked past drunk frat guys on their walk of shame coming home. I was committed, man, but it was just a duty for me. I only went because I knew I was supposed to. I knew that church attendance was somehow directly correlated to my faith, and that if I wanted to grow as a Christian and commune with God, church was the place where that happened. If I were risking my life to go to church, if I were living in a persecuted area, I would still go. At least, that's what I'd tell myself knowing that in order to play the Christian game, church had to be a top priority. Even though I didn't see much of an impact in my personal life, and even though I didn't really enjoy it, I knew it was the right thing to do, so I did it.
Now, the purpose of this episode is not to say that church services are bad and we shouldn't do them and everyone should have the same experience as me. Maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I genuinely love my church and I get so much out of it. And I've had wonderful worship experiences singing to God. And if that's the case, I'm happy for you. Like actually jealous because I can't say that. And just because this has been my experience doesn't mean that it has to be yours. I'm just saying this has been my personal experience and I know other people feel this way too. And I know that highlights some other trends about church that I think we need to talk about on this podcast. Podcast. And so I mainly bring this up to try to understand why I feel guilty for saying what I just said and to question whether or not that guilt is warranted and whether or not these questions I have about Sunday morning services have something that really needs to be explored further. So let's do just that. Let's take a look at Sunday morning from a biblical perspective. Now, are Christians required to meet every Sunday? To this, I think the answer is no. I don't think that there is a divine mandate that we must meet for Sunday morning service every week. Now, I was always taught that the proof text for requiring Christians to go to church is Hebrews 10.25, which tells us not to neglect gathering together. Okay, so in a general letter written by an author we can't identify, Christians are told to make sure they gather. Cool. I would hope that Christians are gathering at some point even habitually. That seems like a rather intuitive and obvious piece of wisdom there, but to take that verse and apply it to our modern conceptualization of Sunday morning church and then command believers to go every single Sunday because of this verse seems like a quantum interpretive leap. It just seems like a heavily biased interpretation. Like we need a verse to support the Sunday morning gathering thing and I guess that one works. This verse tells us to gather together, bam, done. I mean, see what I mean? It, it's just a pretty loose application is all I'm saying. And maybe there's more like to that historical context that I'm just missing, but I guess like a plain reading of that verse, I just read it and I'm like, that that's not convincing to me. Like if you're going to mandate Christians to do something, you need more than a verse like that. And yes, I understand that the early church was meeting together on Sunday morning. Like there's definitely a precedent for that set by the early church. We definitely have historical records of this. And so there definitely is a precedent for meeting every Sunday morning. But as far as like Bible verses go that tell us we need to meet every Sunday morning, I'm just not convinced those are there. And I think as a kid, I was always taught that the fourth commandment meant go to church like, I don't know. That was just always how I remembered it for some reason. But really, the fourth commandment isn't about going to church. It's about rest. And I don't know if I'm the only one who grew up thinking that. But if you were thinking that, too, I just I'm not convinced that's telling us to go to church. I think the, the real focus of that verse is rest. So, no, I don't believe the Bible commands us to meet every Sunday morning, at least not based on the usual proof text that people use. But should we see that's a different question? To ask if we are required to is to ask a moral question. Is this a commandment? Are we wrong if we disobey this particular mandate? Is it in scripture? That's to ask if we are required to. But to ask if we should is to ask a wisdom question. Is this something that we should be doing as Christians? In the same way we could ask if we should be spending less time on our phones or if we should be studying for that test. It isn't a divine decree, but it is a matter of wisdom based on principles for healthy Christian living. So should we? Should we be going to church? The answer to that, I think, is a bit more complicated because the church as it exists in America is not the same as the church that was in the Bible and the early church. 
I think there are some real fundamental differences. So that's a really tough question to answer. So I think my answer to that question would actually be yes and no. Okay, I've been avoiding this episode for a very long time because I don't know exactly what the church is supposed to look like. I made an episode a long time ago explaining what I believe the ideal church should look like, but I never released it because it was honestly kind of stupid. I never remade that episode because I didn't have any new ideas. Like I didn't have anything else to contribute. And I think I finally decided I just don't know what I'm talking about. So I just left it. Then I abandoned that question entirely and focused on other matters. But even as I'm making this episode, I can't help but have this nagging hole in what I'm trying to say. And that hole is I haven't properly defined what the church should be. I can tell you what it shouldn't be like. That's easy. Poking holes in systems and exposing problems is not hard, but finding solutions and offering a way forward is much more difficult. And in order to really answer this question of whether or not Christians should be going to church, we have to establish what the church is or what it should be like. And I can't do that perfectly. In fact, I'm not sure anyone can. Here's a warning. If anyone ever comes to you and says they go to the true church and they got church right and everyone else got it wrong, um, run. That's a cult. Or at least it's a church predicated on blind self-righteousness, and we have seen over and over again that that is not conducive for a loving and Christ-like environment. But anyways, I think that we're going to be asking what exactly the church should look like as long as we live on this side of redemptive history. And maybe Jesus left it like that on purpose because church looks different for different cultures, different periods of history, and different groups of people. That's part of the beauty of the church is the diversity. So I'm not here to give you a blueprint for church, and I don't think I'll ever offer that. But here's what I do know. And here is where I think the church in America is severely lacking. Community. The church is deprived of community, like authentic real community. One of the very first episodes I ever published was on the community crisis in America, and I talked about this much more extensively there. And that episode probably got more feedback than any other episode I've ever published. People seem to really resonate with that one. And so I do think this is a real problem, not just in American culture, but also within the church. And I believe community is actually a mark of the church. Now, if you're not familiar with that language, basically, if you ask a theologian, what makes the church the church? They're going to give you a list of must-haves. We call those marks of the church. Most would say that communion is one of them, along with faithful gospel preaching. Some would include church discipline on that list, and others would also include prayer. But I would argue that community should also be on that list. I think community is a major element of the early church, and since we have mostly lost that sense of community in the American church, we forget just how important it is and was to the spread of Christianity. And I think this lack of community in the American church is what makes Sunday morning gatherings so weird and forced, because I'm not convinced that the church is the church without community. And I think this lack of community in the American church is what makes the Sunday morning gathering so weird and forced because I'm not convinced that the church is the church if it doesn't have community. I've been told over and over again 
that church attendance is mandatory and that every Christian should crave Sunday morning. I've been told that if I don't want to go to church, then I need to check my heart. If church is not appealing to me, I'm the problem. Something's wrong with me. And for a while, I bought into that. But recently, I guess I've just gotten so sick of the church giving itself immunity to attacks and forcing all its problems back on me. Because if I have a problem, I have to confess and change, and they have a right to demand that of me. They have that authority. But if the church has a problem, well, it's full of broken people, and there's always room for one more. There's no space to criticize the church because the church believes itself to be invincible to criticisms because it is the bride of Christ, and the bride of Christ will always have issues. But praise Jesus, God is working through his imperfect bride to bring about his perfect plan. And so if you raise any issues with the church, it's kind of like, yeah, there are going to be issues. We know this. We're sinful. We're broken. But you know what? God's working through us. And that's not at all dealing with or even acknowledging the issues. That type of attitude allows problems within the church to persist. It harms people. And it distorts further what the church is meant to be. But when the church becomes an institution that exists to perpetuate its own existence, this is what you get. You get a business that demands allegiance to them and to their weekly meetings. You get an authoritative entity that expels those who call for change. And you get an organization that blames victims for not having a proper perspective when they leave. And so you get churches that are defensive, that by default blame those who leave because the church is the body of Christ and therefore is on God's side de facto. And who can argue with God? God says go to church every Sunday. God says the church is imperfect yet beautiful still. And so if you want to leave a church, you can go as long as it's silent. Because criticisms against the beautiful bride of Christ will not be tolerated. So it is quite common for people to leave a church and the church essentially says, hey, we hate to see you go, but please don't go blasting us on social media or spreading these stories around. We wouldn't want to see the work being done here damaged now, would we? The church, in equating itself to the work of God, immunizes itself to attacks and silences criticisms. So those who leave are isolated and exiled. And I guess what I find funny about this is there's absolutely no precedent for that in scripture. Scripture is full of all the baggage of the heroes of the faith. Even Paul himself, who spends a lot of time actually writing letters to churches and exposing their sins and exhorting them, not all the time, but he definitely doesn't have an issue exhorting and calling out the churches who have things they need to work on, who have sins or who have shortcomings. And we, as a modern day church, have no issue reading these letters and then learning from the shortcomings and sins of these ancient churches who are kind of eternally on blast as their sins have been solidified in scriptures. I mean, Paul basically left a one-star review for the church in Galatia. Even churches in the book of Revelation are all critiqued and evaluated for their conduct. And there is a higher standard that churches are called to adhere to, and they should be held to it. And their unwillingness to confront criticism is, I think, evidence of a very fragile ego. And ego is the product of misplaced identity. And I think that the ego of these churches is grounded in their identity in their own institution and not their identity as the flawed bride of Christ, as they often claim. And churches constantly call on us, the congregants, to repent, but they themselves rarely do it. And if someone leaves, they leave silently. And I think a lot of the church's efforts to pursue those who have left will oftentimes not be in the interest of caring and shepherding, but of damage control. Basically, the church staff 
leaves the flock of the 99 that it's shepherding and goes out to meet the one. Then when they finally get to the one, they tell that one that it is bitter, it's in sin, and either needs to get back in line with the other 99 or please leave those precious 99 alone. So where Jesus leaves the 99 for the one, the church builds a fence around their 99 and tells the one to go be bitter and critical somewhere else. The institution is preserved above the people, and that's the pattern of church abuse, and that's the pattern you will see over and over again as people are wounded by churches that care more about protecting their institution than they do those within it. The success of the church is gauged by monthly finances and the number of people attending weekly meetings, so those who are hurt are neglected and silenced. Ministry is forfeited for growth. Members are neglected for stability and control. And the needs of the community and the global church are forgotten for the needs of an institution literally feasting on its own resources. The church defines ministry in terms of its own weekly meetings. So finances and attention are devoted to building up the quality of those meetings and catering to those who attend them without doing much to address the needs around them. And this is not just an observation I've made. Tons of missionaries complain how little the church supported them in their journey. Ministries around America are started and sustained outside of the church by those who became frustrated that the church wasn't doing anything. The church institution is too busy focusing inwardly on itself, and a lot of them don't have time or money to spend on things like missions. And that's the crux right there. I don't deal with church hurt by reminding myself that the church is broken. I deal with church hurt by reminding myself that what I have always believed is the church is not actually the church. Because yes, there are true believers scattered all throughout the church in America. I don't deny that. But at some point, we have to acknowledge that the church has become so clouded by its own institutions and drowned in goats, as Jesus would call them, those who consider themselves to be Christian and yet have little evidence within their lives. The church is like a string of Christmas lights. If you ever have used them, at least the old school kind, you know that if one or two lights go out, it isn't really a problem. But once more start going out, eventually the entire section or the entire string of lights will stop shining. And to me, that's what's happened to the church in America. It isn't really shining. So many have filled the pews who don't take the gospel seriously, and the church has catered to them because those people pad numbers, give faithfully, and don't complain. And because of that, I don't see the light of Christ shining. I see a string of Christmas lights with blackened bulbs, empty sockets, and beautiful colors left in the darkness of isolation and loneliness. Because the church exists where Christian community is, and Christian community is what has supported me when my marriage was in trouble, when I needed help in seminary, when I couldn't reconcile 2020 with biblical Christianity, and when I needed support to go move to Africa and help children in need. That's the church. That's the community I knew from Bible studies, from friends who were there for me when I needed help, who supported me when I couldn't make it, and who worked alongside me as we together sought to advance the kingdom of God. See, to me, that's corporate worship. That's the church. And I would love to have a weekly gathering with those people if that gathering was filled with sweet community with learning about God, with pulling our resources together to help those in need and to sing and worship Jesus. That would be a Sunday morning service I would love to attend. I don't just want to gather with people because we're the same age or because our kids are on the soccer team together or because they're in the same socioeconomic class as me or because I like the pastor or the music or whatever, because that's not church. That's a club. 
I want to worship with community, community that exists far beyond the walls of a church building and far beyond the confines of a weekly Sunday morning gathering, because the purpose of that gathering is to facilitate the ministry and the community that is happening all week. And once the gathering itself becomes the sole focus of the church, then that bride of Christ becomes basically a skeleton, a hollow shell of what it should and can be. But as long as the American church exists in this lethargic state, it is no longer the church at all. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do in Liberia, feel free to visit standingsidebyside.org. If you'd like to make a donation, there's a donate tab on that page, or you can just Venmo at standing side by side. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram and see a more personal perspective on life here in Liberia, you can follow me at pa.pancake. That's P-A dot pancake. And if you'd like to talk, if you'd like to share your story, feel free to reach out to me there. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith.